Celeste Katz is with us from uh, Boston in the United States. Celeste, good morning. Good morning. Sorry, I, I thought I was pressing the button. Um, oh, it's confusing when that happens. Celeste, how are things in, uh, in, in, um, in Boston, in uh, Massachusetts, in New England? How would you characterise them at the moment? Things seem to be looking up for us as far as the coronavirus pandemic. Actually, there's been some uh, some reporting and some data that shows that we're actually doing a lot better than we were uh, a few months ago when we had a big spike in cases and in deaths here in Boston and Massachusetts and New England. Now uh, we seem to be doing a lot better than other parts of the country that are now experiencing a surge. Is there something special about New England? I mean, people go there from all over the country, of course, but is there something special about that part of the world now that you've been living there for a while? Well, in regard to the pandemic, the special thing about people up here is that uh, they seem to be wearing masks and observing social distancing and making common sense decisions about how to protect themselves and other people from the virus, which is great. Um, you know, Boston is not fully up to speed in terms of major cities in the United States and how we usually live and work and play and shop and do business and all those kinds of things. But uh, things do seem to be on the upswing after some very dark times. What I find amazing, well not amazing, but in some ways amusing about this entire business, which there's not a lot to laugh about, but the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute, he said that New England or that area, you know, was acting like Europe, like not like the rest of the country. It was actually trying to, you know, get this under control and behave properly. Yeah, basically that uh, people are uh, people here are um, emulating or following some of the pathways that were carved out by countries in Europe that were, uh, you know, assailed by the virus, did have uh, a lot of problems with it, uh, but figured out how to take widespread actions to uh, to avoid spreading it further, um, to observe social distancing, again, covering uh, faces, washing hands, hand sanitizing, uh, staying home uh, whenever possible, and so on. And so by uh, adopting some of those techniques and some of those practices, we have been able to go from, again, what was a really bad situation a few months ago uh, to uh, not... Uh, any longer being one of the major hotspots for coronavirus that's largely moved to the southern and western portion of the United States. Now, um, you know, we still have a lot of, we still have cases that are coming in. We have um, over, you know, approximately 114,000 cases confirmed of coronavirus in Massachusetts so far, uh, approaching 8,500 deaths related to the virus. But uh, now if you look at a, a map, a sort of a heat map of what's going on with, with COVID-19 in the United States, you see definitely much more activity to the south and to the west of the country. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that it was in those states, Florida, Texas, other states, that people simply didn't follow what they were told to do? Well, there's probably a lot of different things at play. One is, as we've talked about on your program before, you know, there are a lot of Americans that just don't want to be told what to do. They see these kinds of uh, public health uh, 
recommendations as infringements on their personal rights. Uh, they don't want to uh, go through the the hassle or the discomfort or um, you know the economic consequence of social distancing, covering their faces, uh, staying away from the office or from jobs in the gig economy, whatever it may be. Um, you know, also there are a lot of places where the public officials in charge of encouraging people to to uh, abide by those kinds of rules didn't do that or didn't do it in time. So you have places like Florida where you've seen uh, cases arise from beaches being open or people partying at bars or restaurants or, uh, you know, in some cases in the South, uh, even having what's come to be known as COVID parties, where it's sort of a bet about uh, having a lot of people in tight quarters mingling around and then seeing who gets sick first or last, which is obviously not something that mm -hmm. I would consider, uh, you know, the best course of action. But, um, you know, there was, um, there was a, a notorious case in the United States of somebody who died basically mm -hmm. after that kind of exposure. And his last words were, I think I made a mistake talk about famous last words interestingly you know when the president resumed his um, daily briefings on this I think I think maybe the first day or the second day maybe the second day he actually seemed very presidential he was saying kind of the right things and I was thinking watching that if he'd done that four months ago maybe you wouldn't be in the position that you're in now I think a lot of people think that. I think a lot of people feel like if only the government had been more proactive. And to be fair, there were a lot of things we did not know about how the virus was transmitted. Was it airborne? Was it uh, passed through touch and, and so on? And, uh, you know, could it be passed by people who were asymptomatic? Could it, was it more prevalent in, in older people, children, you know, um, men, women? There were a lot of things we did not know. But one thing we did know, um, you know, based on other people's experiences with it, and then as we did our own research and came to our own conclusions, just the simple act of covering your face, wearing a mask, and it doesn't have to be um, a surgical mask. It doesn't have to be an N95 mask. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a space suit. Just putting something over your nose and mouth when you're around other people is a very, very big step towards keeping yourself and other people from getting sick. And so the president for quite a while uh, and followed by people in his administration and the cabinet and so on were sort of making a point of either not wearing a mask or saying that, you know, it should be up to an individual. And as you can imagine, these things really only work when a big part of the population, if not everybody actually sticks to the plan. Mm. Now, the president as well. I mean, he. I thought you know that was one of his best performances in in saying that. It was a very short press conference or news conference, but he still he did the right thing there. But there are some other strange things happening in the U.S. and mostly in Portland, in Oregon, where there has been you know, and this is part of the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement. But it's been going on basically since George Floyd's death. So we're talking about you know more than or about two months, I think, that there have been protests every single day and night in Portland. Now, Portland is a very woke city, you might say. It's a very hip city, so it doesn't surprise me when you hear about this. But what is really disturbing is that these unidentified um, troops, not even sure where they're from, are taking people from the street, putting them in un, um, unidentified vans, and driving them away. Now, this is what a lot of people describe as fascism, or, you know, it's highly disturbing. 
explain what's going on there. Yeah, there there are a lot of really terrifying stories coming out of Portland and places like Portland. And it, a lot of it is what you described. There are people who are protesting, uh, you know, a lot of them peacefully. Some of them may be being disruptive, but, you know, there are disruptors that get mixed in with the peaceful protesters and it becomes a little uh, confusing and chaotic. But what has been happening is that, uh, you know, in a lot of places, even here in Boston, there are police officers, state police, city police, uh, sheriffs, whatever it may be, that are clearly identified wearing uniforms, wearing badges, driving around in marked cars or vans that are trying to do crowd control and protect public property and, uh, you know, sort of enforce the law. Now, what you have going on in Portland is you have guys dressed up in full camo, body armor, visors, carrying automatic military grade type automatic weapons that are uh, you know, surging towards people, throwing flashbang grenades, gassing people. And in some cases, uh, the phrase has become snatching them, snatching them up, or uh, some people who are really angry describe it as kidnapping pulling people off the streets, putting them in unmarked vans, sometimes just like regular SUVs that you'd be driving around on the street and taking them somewhere for some reason to do something to them. And, um, you know, the, the, the visual, I've, I've seen this in recently yeah. for a magazine piece I'm doing. I talked to somebody that this happened to. And just the things that were described, uh, you know, being gassed, handcuffed, mobbed by a bunch of guys in, in army type uniforms, taken into a, an underground garage, being put in a cell with no drinking water, no call to a lawyer, nobody knew where they were, uh, no even understanding what the charge was against them or maybe even who was doing the arrest. That's terrifying. It is the sort of thing that if you saw it happen in a quote-unquote foreign country, you would think, oh, yeah, well, that's just what they do there. That's what, um, you know, what military strongmen or something direct people to do, that that's what happened in Iraq or somewhere, places like that where people were bundled into a taxi and driven off and never seen again. Now, these people do re-emerge, but still, I mean, one of the things about being arrested is that you need to be told why you're being arrested and you need to know who's arresting you and, on, you know, on what charge or where you're going to be taken. Exactly. And in this case, the person that I spoke to uh, explained to me that uh, they were never told what their rights. You have to be read your rights. I'm sure every country has uh, you know, varying yeah. degrees here. It's called being read your Miranda rights, uh, which is something like, uh, you know, you, uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you and so on and so on. But to just have somebody, I mean, if you see photographs and videos, including of this particular incident that I interviewed this person about, it is, just people in camouflage uniforms, helmets, automatic weapons, and patches that say police. It doesn't say what police. Mm. It doesn't say, uh, you know, where they're from, who they're representing, where they're going, what authority they have. And, you know, what becomes terrifying is not just that this is being, you know, perpetrated by government agencies. I think in this case, it might have been Homeland Security, uh, as it finally turned out. But what if you or I dressed up Yes. in a camouflage uniform, put on a helmet and stuck on a patch that said police and went out to uh, to get up to no good. You can imagine the, you know, the Outright. permutations of horror that that would involve. So um, the president has threatened to do this in other cities as well, although the mayor of Boston said it's not welcome here, thankfully. 
Yeah, that's definitely there are there there is uh, quite a bit of talk about uh, the idea that President Trump is focusing on cities where there has been unrest, but particularly cities that are run by Democratic mayors. And so uh, Marty Walsh, who is the mayor of Boston, joined in with a, a ton of other mayors from all over the country and just saying, we don't want federal troops here. We will handle our own people. We will enforce our own laws. If we need your help, given, we'll ask for it. Sure. But until then, please don't send anybody. They are not welcome here. Okay. Now, we've seen statues uh, pulled down all over the United States. Um because they might have been uh, Confederates, or slave traders, things like that. That's now reached Washington, D.C. Now, in the U.S. Capitol, I mean, there are plenty of statues, and every state has allowed at least two statues of somebody famous from their state. Um, so what's going to happen at the U.S. Capitol? They reckon they're going to pull some more of these statues down. Well, uh, members of the House, obviously we have a bicameral legislature, we have the House and the Senate. So um, uh, lawmakers in the House uh, approved uh, this bill to get Confederate statues out of the United States Capitol. Uh, it was a bipartisan vote, but uh, all the no votes were from Republicans. And the idea was to um, to remove these sort of statues or monuments to people who voluntarily served in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. And uh, this comes amid a, you know, a very big debate about monuments to Confederate heroes in public spaces, uh, the naming of military bases, uh, you know, for, for these kinds of uh, generals and uh, high-ranking officers in the Confederate Army, which is, you know, sort of... Uh, Ironic would be the nicest way to put it, considering, um, you know, the history of, of segregation and integration in the U.S. military. So it's not clear that this is, you know, nobody's going to come in now with a with a hand truck or with a crowbar or a crane or something and start pulling down all these monuments uh, or all these all the statuary in the Capitol building. But, uh, you know, it sort of advances this discussion about um who we memorialize and who we glorify in our public places and why we do that. Yes, and would you do it to another country that had taken up arms against the United States, which is basically what the Confederate States did? This is what I can't believe about it. They don't have statues of people from Germany in World War One or Two or any of those uh, things like that, but they do have it from a... Uh, uh, well, a country which broke off for a while that took up arms against the US. And finally... Betting. Now, it's huge all over the world, sports betting, and it is big in America, but it's not in every state. Now, here you cannot watch a sporting event without seeing commercials, ad advertisements for betting on your phone or whatever. I'm, But they're thinking about doing it in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's uh, you know part of part of what's happened with the economy with COVID. Again, uh, Massachusetts is doing better now in terms of controlling actual cases, but there's still been a lot of damage to the economy with businesses being disrupted, universities, which as you know are a very very big deal here, uh, being. We've lost Celeste is something that they're talking about as just a way to bring in a ton of money. Um, yes, and the problem is it's, it's kind of, it's, it's taxation in a way, but it's, it's voluntary taxation. People give the money willingly rather than unwillingly, which is what is done with every other tax. 
Yeah. And, you know, in the United States and lots of places, uh, we have lotteries We have different, you know, big games like Powerball or Mega Millions. And a lot of that money goes to education. So you might say it's a worthy cause. But as you say, it is it is a choice. It's sort of a, a sin tax. Well, the thing is, I know that Georgia is one state that does it, and I think there's another one, that any person, anyone in um, uh, at school, at high school, who has at least a B average gets free in-state education at a college in Georgia, and that is all funded by the lottery or whatever. So it does you know, have some good, and if all the money was given to education, yeah, I mean, I've got less of a problem, but sports gambling is one of the worst things in the world. Well, here we have regular casino gambling machines and so on. Uh, in lots of places, you have uh, gambling on uh, Native American land, indigenous yes. land, uh, and it is big, big money. So I think that you know this is this isn't a done deal by by any stretch, but I think it's just you know people looking around in you know sort of somewhere between fear and absolute panic at what has happened to the US economy as a result of now something like 4 million people confirmed mm-hmm. to have coronavirus and it's just it's just wreaked complete havoc and people are just trying to find a way out of that all righty celeste let's hope things will be a little happier when we talk again in uh, two weeks time thanks very much always a pleasure Thank you, Celeste Katz, in the United States in Boston. Uh, We've got David Kilby coming up in just a moment.